Turn in your Bible, please, to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with the chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. But Jesus was saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. We are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go to them. He gave them permission. The demons came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people came out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat... The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much 
Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen. Today we come in our series on Mark's account of the Master of Men to this dramatic encounter between Jesus and Legion, the wild man here. You have the description of the Gadarene demoniac in the first five verses. They came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. What is an unclean spirit? Well, an unclean spirit is a demon. Now, what is a demon possession? William Barclay, in his uh, commentary on the Gospel of Luke, says that the man was insane. Really, there's no such thing as demons, but the man thought there were. The people of that day thought there were. Uh, And he says, the man, thinking the demons were speaking through him, besought Jesus not to send the demons into the abyss of hell to which they would be consigned in the final judgment. Now, the man, and he says this is the essence of this part of the story, would never have believed that he was cured unless he had had a visible demonstration. Uh, surely what happened was this. The herd of swine, says Barclay, were feeding there on the mountainside. Jesus was exerting his power to cure what was a stubborn case of insanity. And uh, suddenly the man's wild cries and shouts and screams disturbed the swine, and they went dashing down the steep place into the sea in blind terror. Look, said Jesus, there your demons are, and they're gone. Jesus had to find a way to get into the mind of this poor man, and in that way he found it. Well, I disagree with Mr. Barclay. I don't believe the man was insane. I believe the man was demon-possessed. Demons are not a figment of our imagination. They are real. They are real entities. They're fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God. Bultmann, another liberal theologian, says that no man can use the electric light and the radio or Uh, the discoveries of modern medicine, and at the same time believe in the New Testament world of spirits and miracles. Well, I believe in the New Testament world of uh, spirits and miracles. I believe Jesus did miracles. And uh, I believe that he cast out evil spirits. This uh, district, uh, the Gadarenes, so named for the town of Gadara, which according to Josephus, a Jewish historian of that day, was a uh, strongly uh, inhabited Greek town, a lot of Gentiles there. And uh, actually there were two demon-possessed men, when you read the other Gospels, but Mark settles in on one of them and traces his history along. What... uh, 
what about this matter of demon possession? Well, there's a classic book written called Demon Possession and Allied Themes by John Nevius. John Nevius was a missionary to China in the 1800s. And Nevius believed in uh, demons and angels as uh, recorded in the New Testament. He just thought that they probably were somewhat restricted to that day and period of time and were not around so much today. But he began to encounter things on the mission field in China that were remarkably like what we've been reading about. And so he wrote, he made up a questionnaire, and he sent it to missionaries all over the world and said, Are you encountering what I'm encountering? And they wrote back and said, Oh, yes. And he put it all together, a different accounts, and drew some, some conclusions in this classic work, Demon Possession and Allied Themes. Uh, how does... Uh, how does this occur, <clears throat> and so on? Uh, well, uh, and, and how do we deal with a case of it? You get uh, a description in the book of how it occurred in one case. There was a, a Chinese gentleman who went to the marketplace and purchased a picture of one of the Chinese gods by the name of Wai Mu Nang. And they brought it home and placed the picture in a prominent location in his house. And uh, several nights later, uh, in a dream, an evil spirit came to him and said, I am the spirit of Wai Mu Nang, and I've come to take up a boat in your house. And if you will worship me, I will bless you. Well, he realized this was an evil spirit, and he resisted it. But when he resisted it, he would go into a trance and uh, get violently ill. His parents uh, came and saw the situation, and they promised uh, to the spirit that they would worship the spirit. And uh, this went on for some time until the man uh, encountered uh, the message of Jesus Christ. And when he heard of who Jesus was, God the Son, and what Jesus had done, had uh, become incarnate and then had died for our sins, paid our fine in God's court for our having broken God's law, and he believed the claims of Christ, believed that was true, and made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. He trusted Christ to forgive his sins, invited them into his life. He surrendered his will to him, purposing to obey when that happened, he was freed from this situation. The evil spirit appeared one more time and said, uh, You have uh, become a Christian. This is no place for me. I'm now leaving. That's uh, sort of just one, one of a number of interesting cases there. He records one case uh, that was very well known in Germany that involved a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, in the 1840s by the name of Bloomhart, Christopher Bloomhart, a very highly respected pastor, a very capable man, a scholarly man, a very careful man. One of his parishioners, a 25-year-old girl by the name of Gottlieben Dietus, began to experience some strange things. Uh, she <coughs> would see apparitions in her home. Objects would move around with no visible hand moving them. There would be strange noises. And as the pastor got involved, he felt uh, this was a case of demon possession. 
And uh, in this particular case, there were apparently a number of demons involved. And uh, he, he would carefully, whenever he would try to deal with this case, over a period of two years, he would take responsible citizens with him. He'd take the mayor of the city, or he would take uh, a physician with him, as he tried to free this woman. As time went on, her uh, sister also uh, became demon-possessed, and uh, the sister's husband. The final moment of deliverance was very dramatic. And uh, let me read you an account of it. This was on 28th of December, 1843. And now the, the final battle involved her sister, Katrina, more than uh, Gottlieb and herself. It says, finally, the most moving moment came which no one can possibly imagine who was not an eye and ear witness. At two o'clock in the morning, the supposed angel of Satan roared while the girl bent her back her head and upper part of her body over the backrest of the chair with a voice which one would hardly have believed a human throat capable of. Jesus is victor! Jesus is victor! Words that sounded so far and were understood at such a distance that they made an unforgettable impression on many people. Hundreds of people heard this. Now the power and strength of the demon seemed to be broken. More with every moment. It became ever more quiet and calmer, could only make a few motions, and finally disappeared unnoticed like the lifelight of a dying person going out. That, uh, that particular case had a profound influence on theology in Germany for years to come. Now, uh, we get some feel of how it occurs when you expose yourself, as the man who purchased the picture did unknowingly, exposed himself to uh, evil spirits. When you expose yourself, you can expose yourself through heavy metal, through going to a seance, through uh, any number of, of things that uh, will, in effect, be opening you up to involvement and uh, to possession. Now, drugs is another way. It's very common in the drug culture to read about uh, uh, something of this nature. This uh, particular man dwelt among the tombs, we're told. Verse 3, he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Uh, these tombs were chambers hewn in the rock, and so he provided some shelter. He had superhuman strength. Uh, he could break chains. It says uh, he'd often been bound with fetters and chains. The chains had been plucked asunder by him. The fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. These demons gave him supernatural power. Uh, we have a, a dentist in our congregation who was operating on a patient. He gave the patient gas, and all of a sudden, guttural sounds began to come out of this patient, <clears throat> and uh, the voices, the patient uh, said, I'm Satan, I'm going to kill you. And the patient had supernatural strength. 
Uh, the dentist called in his assistants. They all tried to hold the man down. They battled him for over an hour, five of them. They called the paramedics. The paramedics came. They said, help us hold him. And another hour they battled him. Uh, finally, he calmed down, and he was taken to uh, the med center, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. But apparently, this was a similar type thing, and superhuman strength. Uh, you have uh, <clears throat> Nevius' account of the man who brought the picture home, the evil spirit representing that god, uh, Wa-Moon-Nang, told uh, the man, I won't hurt you, I will give you power to heal sicknesses. And it says, uh, <clears throat> uh, this proved to be true. And soon from my own village, the people came bringing their children to be healed by the aid of the demon. Sometimes it would cure the sick instantaneously and without the use of medicines. Sometimes it would not respond when first summoned, and when it did appear, it would say it had been absent in such and such places. But it never said on what business. Many diseases were not under its control, and it seemed as if it could perfectly cure only such as were inflicted by spirits. My own child, says the Chinese gentleman, I had been long ill, and I invoked the demon, but it did not come. The child died. Well, uh, supernatural powers. The self-destructive ways in verse 5. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. What a pathetic description of this man's life. Uh, we're told by Luke that he wore no clothes. He was naked. Now, Jesus lands on the shore, and there's interaction between the demon possessing the man and Jesus. And uh, uh, verse 6, we find that the demon recognizes Jesus. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. The man did. He falls down. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Yeah, he knows who he is. And he's fearful, terrified of Jesus. And he pleads with him, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Luke says the full statement was that thou torment me not before the time. What business does he have taking God's name? Well, apparently what he's saying is something like this. I implore you to deal with me as God himself does. That is, not to precipitate my final doom, but to delay the full infliction of my punishment. Now, Jesus has been commanding the demon to come out of him in verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him his name. What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. The demons have been responding as one. Apparently there's one 
demon in charge of the others, and he responds. And they request not to be sent away, verse 10. He besought him, Jesus, much that he would not send them away out of the country. Luke says, they asked Jesus not to send them into the deep or the abyss, hell. There's a helpful book on this whole subject by Frank Leahy entitled, Satan Cast Out. And he says, the demons who possessed the Gadarene demoniac besought our Lord that he would not cast them into the abyss. Although the abyss was their proper habitation, yet under the permissive will of God and for his own purposes, they are allowed a certain activity on the earth until that day when they will be confined to the abyss forever. And you notice this, this demon knows that. Torment me not before the time. At this point, uh, we encounter the destruction of the swine. And verse 12, or verse 11, there was a now under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils or demons besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. Notice Jesus' authority. He allows them. They beseech him, and he allows them to go into the swine. And then all of these swine run down and drowned into the sea. Goodness. Yeah, 2,000. That's a lot of bacon. Man alive. Wonder, wonder why Jesus uh, let them do that. Some commentators uh, surmise that, well, uh, the Jews were not supposed to keep pigs. That was one of the unclean meats designated in the Old Testament as unclean to them, and they weren't to eat these. And so uh, Jesus lets them be destroyed because they were doing wrong to begin with. But since this was a, an area heavily inhabited by Gentiles, it's very possible these, these were owned by Gentiles. Um, why would he allow that? We don't know. But it could be to show the reality. This wasn't just a figment of the man's imagination. These were real entities inhabiting him, and then they went and inhabited the pigs, and the pigs went crazy because, not the man shouts, but because of the possession by the demons. Uh, Nevius gives a similar account of a woman in China who was demon-possessed, and when the demons were cast out, there were pigs and chickens in an enclosed area in her backyard, and they went crazy. Uh, they tried to climb the walls. They banged their heads against the walls. Apparently, something very similar happened there to what happened here. They, the facts are totally unaccountable except under the supposition of a real exorcism and a real possession of the herd as described. The effect on the townspeople, verse 14, they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And uh, they came to Jesus, and they come to Jesus and see that he, him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. 
and they were afraid. Uh, they come and they see this. Verse 16, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And uh, they began to pray Jesus to depart out of their coast. Please leave, please leave. Why do they want him to leave? Well, it's already been very costly to somebody for him to be there. If you leave him around, no telling what it'll cost. Uh, someone's made a poem out of this. They said, uh, Rabbi, we Gadarenes are not ascetics. We are fond of wealth and possessions. Uh, <clears throat> love, as you call it, we obviate by means of the planned release of aggressions. Uh, we have deep faith in prosperity. Soon it is hoped we will reach our full potential. In the light of our gross product, the practice of charity is palpably inessential. It's true that we go insane, that for no good reason we're possessed by devils, that we suffer despite the amenities which obtain at all but the lowest levels. We shall not, however, resign our trust in the high-heeled table and the full trough. If you cannot cure us without destroying our swine, we'd rather you shoved off. The fact that this man is clothed and in his right mind doesn't seem to weigh a whole lot. And they're afraid. They, they've encountered something that uh, they don't understand. And they're fearful. At this point, the, the Gadarene demoniac, who's now freed and liberated, Ask Jesus if he can go with him and be with him. In verse 18, When he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Maybe that he is afraid of a repossession. Maybe that just out of gratitude he wants to be with Jesus. But Jesus says no. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them, how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Uh, Jesus would leave, but he would leave this man behind to tell the story. He'd been liberated. He had a story to tell. What about you? Have you been liberated? Do you have a story to tell? Are you telling it? Uh, you know, I'm a lot like that man. Uh, I came back to my hometown clothed and in my right mind. Now, there are those who question that. But, uh, praise God, I've been liberated. Uh, we uh, <clears throat> studied this in our K group this last Wednesday, or last Thursday, and uh, I, uh, I just asked in the group, uh, what change has Christ made in your life? What change has he made in your spouse's life? And one said, well, he changed my conversation and my thought life. Another said, uh, uh, he uh, gave me a purpose for living. Another said, uh, my spouse, she's no longer angry and vindictive. And she said, and my husband is now the spiritual head of our home. Uh, I, uh, another said, I got over my materialism. 
I was with a friend that I was in college with uh, in another part of the state here recently, and we had lunch together. He told me how he'd become an alcoholic after college and got to the point where he really didn't want to go on living and, and uh, had a choice of killing himself or of seeking help. And he'd heard of a Christian rehabilitation place up in the Carolinas and called and went up there and couldn't understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And they tried, and, and, uh, but he cried out. And finally, the light dawned, and he understood that salvation is a gift. It's not something you earn or deserve, and you simply trust Jesus Christ to forgive you, come into your life, to change you. And he said, you know, he did that, but he took away the desire to drink. He said, I've never had a desire for another drink since that day. That's unusual, <clears throat> but Christ liberates. He changes lives. Well, this man goes back and he tells his story. It says, uh, verse 20, he departed and began to publish in Decapolis that there were ten towns. And in all of those towns, he began to tell how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Well, the implications for us of a story like this, obviously, we want to avoid any undue exposure of ourselves to demonic beings. They're real. And, uh, you know, it's common today to read in the paper about uh, uh, some uh, youngster who gets involved in demon worship or activity and winds up uh, murdering people or uh, killing himself. Uh, it's a very real envy. It's a part of our society today. And it's something to be very careful about and to flee. Uh, there is, uh, we have an enemy, and he has a host of assistants. And uh, we do not want to expose ourselves unduly to his influence. We need a healthy attitude towards Satan and his demons. Uh, C.S. Lewis says there are two opposite errors. One error is to deny their existence. The other is to get all wrapped up in studying them and being interested in them. And we need to avoid uh, attributing uh, the works of the flesh to demon possession. Uh, you hit people who uh, have some habit, uh, who are controlled by anger, who are controlled by lust. And uh, someone will come along and say, you have a demon of lust, you have a demon of anger. But the Bible doesn't talk in those terms. The Bible says that's the works of the flesh. And what you need is to apply uh, the principles of walking in the Spirit, repentance, faith, using the means of growth. Uh, we don't want to attribute everything to demon possession. Uh, many things uh, are due to our own sinful nature that we are indulging, and we need to learn to die to that, to crucify the flesh in the power of the Spirit. So we need a balanced understanding. And when we think of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare is not something that just some elite troops engage in. We're doing spiritual warfare when we're praying. We're doing spiritual warfare when we practice uh, loving other folks and doing good to other folks and when we share the gospel with other people. And 
Just our normal activity. We're engaged in spiritual warfare this morning, right here and now, as we proclaim the Word of God and challenge you to apply those principles to your life. We're involved in spiritual warfare. And uh, all Christians are involved in this. Now, we, of course, need to be active in sharing what Christ has done in our lives. We need, we're like that man if we're Christians. We, a tremendous thing has happened in our lives, and many around us don't know, and our, our family may not know. When I came to Christ, my first thought was, what about my mother and dad? What about my sister? And are they Christians? Do they know? And uh, that's the starting place. We start uh, at home and uh, tell what great things the Lord has done for us. We've got the luncheon coming up next Sunday, a visitor's luncheon. And we'll have one of our members sharing great things the Lord has done for her. That's a great opportunity to, to expose someone uh, to the workings of God's Spirit and the claims of Christ. If you're not a Christian, you should really be alarmed when you read something like this. Not that you necessarily are demon-possessed, but that there is a real world of evil spirits. And their king, Satan, controls the great majority of the people in the world. The Bible says the whole world lieth in the wicked one. Or it says he, is, he works in, uh, he's the prince of the power of the air who worketh in the children of disobedience. Anyone who's not a Christian is under his control. They're in his kingdom. He is their king. Everyone has a master. We have one master or we have the other master. Uh, you may not be conscious of it, uh, but he's controlling you. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He's controlling you. Uh, he's your father. He's your master. Uh, those leaders had no such thought, but that was the actual situation. Jesus said, if the Son shall make you... Well, Jesus said, uh, whoever uh, is controlled by sin is the servant of sin. And he said, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Only Jesus Christ can free us. Only he can remove our guilt, can renew our nature, uh, can free us from Satan's control and sin's control. And so, if you're not a Christian... You need to come to Jesus Christ and ask him to change and forgive you. Let us pray. As our hearts abound, uh, has, are you exposing yourself in any undue way to uh, demonic influence? Will you turn from that? Have you had a change made in your life through Jesus Christ? Are you telling others about it in a way that will uh, help them understand and desire a similar change? If you've never personally committed your life to Jesus Christ, are you willing to do that today? Do you believe his claims? Uh, will you ask him to come and free you? Pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I need freeing. 
I thank you that you can do that. And I do put my trust in you to forgive me and to free me. And I surrender my will to you. Come into my life. Amen.